you are loved. You are listening to teachings from the Bridge Fellowship. Our heart is to reach and teach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To listen to more teachings or support this ministry, go to youareloved.org. title of today's teaching is God Always Has a Plan. God always has a plan. When we don't think that he does, when we don't think that he's hearing us, when we don't think he always has a plan. So we're going to be jumping into Acts chapter 2 here in just a moment, but let's, uh, let's go to the Lord and ask his time, this time to be blessed by him. So Lord, we thank you, Father. Father, thank you for, um, Lord, just the goodness of who you are. Lord, always your grace and your mercy that go before us. Father, thank you uh, for the vibrancy of your word. Thank you for its application for our lives today, God. Lord, I thank you that, um, Lord, that you're not some distant God. You're not some distant being that just allowed things to happen, stands form, and, and Lord, that you just give us autonomy just to run freely and um, never have the opportunity to experience a relationship with you, God. You open those doors of opportunity. And we're going to see that today in your scriptures. You always have a plan. And you always have us in mind with your plans. So Father, I pray that you would reveal your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. And Holy Spirit, as always, we ask that you would be in our midst, speaking to us and ministering to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church all said, amen, amen. So, again, Acts chapter 2, background, let's jump into the first few verses here. Uh, Let's get reacquainted again. We're in the day of Pentecost. Um, I was joking around with Pastor D.A. Previously, last time I taught, I said, man, I I gave you Peter's sermon to do. And he said, man, this is easy. I just have to get up there and read a sermon. How how much more difficult can that be? And uh, he taught a couple weeks ago. And man, just great teaching. I got done and I texted him afterwards. I was like, so so really, how far did you get? And he goes, two verses. Two verses. He was supposed to near finish the chapter for us. And he got two verses. So we're going to try, to try to pick up the slack on that today. But anyways, the day of Pentecost. Let's go after verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, so be reminded, Acts chapter 2, we're talking about the day of Pentecost, the day of God's Spirit being poured out on his people, and we recognize this as being the birth of the church. So let's pick it up, verse 12, closer to where we're going to be at in our text today. So um, in light of that, in light of what's being experienced here, verse 12, so they all uh, were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mock, saying they're full of new wine. Now it's interesting, this experience, this God experience is going on in this moment. You have people that are standing back, they're, they're confused. They're bewildered in this moment. There's some that are mocking this moment. They're mocking what God's doing in the moment. You may have had some experiences, I know I have, in life where you're trying to share with someone something really awesome that the Lord's doing and you're met with kind of a mocking or kind of a sneer or a weird look whether they're 
not a believer, or maybe they're just an immature believer, and they don't understand the way that God can actually work. I remember uh, it was an episode many, many years ago, and, and uh, the Lord just used one of my kids in a moment uh, with a drawing that they did to, 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 to minister to someone who was contemplating suicide at the time. And um, it was one of those moments that was just like, oh my gosh, this is nothing but a God moment. And I remember sharing it with a family member of ours and uh, them just kind of stepping back and going, that's just weird. That's just weird. And it was like, no, 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 no. It, it wasn't just weird. It was God. It was God doing something awesome in a moment. And uh, similarly, you see in Second uh, Samuel chapter 6, talks about David the ark of the, the Lord is being brought back and David the king is pumped he's pumped about this and he starts dancing he's not being dignified in his role as he should have been he's dancing and getting it on with the Lord and and his wife or one of his wives uh, McCall she was the daughter of King Saul she saw him and she's just mocking him what are you doing why are you doing this David prophetically just speaks to her and and says, you know what, you're mocking the Lord. From this point forward, you're going to be barren. You aren't going to have any kids. And it came to pass that she was. And the same happens for us when we refuse to examine the works of God's in our lives and the lives of those around us. When we mock it, when we stand back and kind of jeer at it, it speaks to our own spiritual barrenness in our own lives. In verse 14 here, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. So here's Peter, this moment, got a lot of noise, a lot of ruckus going on, he's raising his voice, he stands up with the eleven, and he says, it's nine o'clock in the morning, these guys are not drunk like you think. And we look at, at Luke and some of the other Gospels and their accounts of who Peter is and, and you see this, this awkward guy, this guy who's been spiritually clumsy in coming after the Lord here. You see a guy that, that had a moment where he cowered to a little girl in denying Jesus. Which always reminds us, and it's, it's a good reminder to have, is that there's always hope for us. When you see a guy like Peter and all that he's been through, sometimes it puts into perspective our lives maybe aren't as lost as we thought that they were. But here's Peter now in the book of Acts. He's more spiritually mature. Maybe it was after that incident when Jesus restored him at the end of the Gospels that we read. Whatever it is, he's reinvigorated in this moment. Here he is, he's standing with the 11, standing up and taking the lead as the lead dog in this fight. He's spiritually matured. He's now open to the Holy Spirit working supernaturally. He's got this new awareness and belief There's a realization that's happened and hit his own life of the absolute truth of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And so from that, the Holy Spirit is ministering through him with spiritual insight and moral courage. There was a reason that Jesus called him the rock. You're going to be solid for me, Peter. Peter is in this moment setting himself up for success. He's choosing to be used by God. Now, the people in this moment, they're asking the question, whatever could this mean? What is this that's going on? And, and so for Peter, he's putting himself in a, a position for spiritual success. He's, he's putting himself in a position to answer their question. How so? First of all, he allows himself to be available. 
He allows himself to be available to answer their question. But part two of that is he's also knowledgeable. He's providing a scriptural basis, we're going to see going forward, to what they're observing. He's available and he's knowledgeable. And the same goes for us as well, is that we're set up well for spiritual success when we allow ourselves to be available and we're knowledgeable about what we're getting to share. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find and knock and it will be opened to you. Understand that once you're available and you receive knowledge, the work of the Lord is his spirit through you. The question that we have to ask each and every one of ourselves today is that are we putting ourselves out there to be used by God? Or are we choosing to stand back in the shadows reserved? Reserved against him being able to use us. One of the things I often pray for, if you're part of the, those that receive the prayers for lost loved ones that we send out here as a church, praying for people that don't yet know the Lord. One of my prayers is almost always for the individual that's sending that prayer request. That the Lord would somehow use them to be a source of knowledge. To use them to be a source of wisdom to help enlighten and draw these people to the Lord. So a life lesson I put right here is that people who want to be used by God are the ones who will seek him out. Make yourself available and make yourself knowledgeable in his word. People who want to be used by God are the ones who will seek him out. Make yourself available and make yourself knowledgeable in his word. Sometimes you wish you could just stick your hand into the the USB drive of a computer and just download it like software. So you have these scriptures ready to go. But it does take effort. It does take time. It does take putting forth those steps. And so here's Peter and he's recalling the knowledge of scripture that's been given to him. And he starts quoting Joel. The prophet Joel here. Pick it up in verse 16. But this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's interesting, we need to be reminded here in this moment, Peter's not a Jewish student. None of the disciples were. I often laugh at the thought of of what the Lord's done through our church here. We have one pastor um, on staff with us at this point out of several that we have, that's actually been to seminary. To me, when I first stepped into this church, I thought that was a weird concept. How can you be educated in the scriptures if someone hadn't directly taught you? You sat there, you got a grade for whatever you learned. You could have the brightest minds going forward out there, but without the Lord and his giftings behind it, when you enter into these higher levels of education, it's just another degree out there if the Lord isn't in it. There are many that have gone to seminary school 
They have not been called to be a pastor, though, by the Lord. The same can be said about others in other careers. In fact, CareerBuilder did a, a survey back in 2013. They were looking at what individuals who went to college to study where they were at in life. They found that one-third of all people that go to college, they study this, were not even working in that field once they left college. That's why it's so important. If you want success in God's use for you, you must also walk in the giftings that he has for you. It doesn't just speak to the, those seeking ministry opportunities. That's a, that's a general rule of thumb in life. So Peter is not defined as a pastor as, as would otherwise have been defined by the yeshiva schools, those Hebrew schools that the kids would have been raised in. He wasn't accepted for them. He's quoting Joel. And we need to understand the context. In part, when we read the Bible, we put little to no context to it. We start just allowing ourselves to come up with our own interpretations of whatever the scriptures might be saying to us. We need to understand the proper application of that word in order to render to God the proper actions that he's calling us to. And that's the next life lesson that I put here is that proper application of God's word calls us to proper action. We've got to understand what we're reading. We've got to be able to put it into context. We're talking about the book of Joel here. I'm going to tell you right now, keep your finger in the book of Acts. I want you to turn to the book of Joel with me though. We're going to be here for a little while so it's worth your turning the pages here. Joel, it's, it's after Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, then you come to Joel. You need to understand the book of Joel a little bit here because this is what Peter's quoting right now. We need to understand the importance of what he's saying. And so just a little bit of background some of you may be rolling your eyes going, oh man, we're going back to the, the old scriptures again and stuff like that. You gotta, you gotta dig to find application and stuff. I tell you what, you start digging enough, this stuff just starts leaping off the pages at you. Joel, he's considered a minor prophet, not because what he shared wasn't important, it just means the volume of text, he only has three chapters to his book compared to some of the major prophets, the Isaiahs, the Ezekiels, the Jeremiah, long books. Joel is just an itty-bitty little book. He was likely the second of the prophets behind Obadiah to be writing uh, in these times. It's believed that he started prophesying in 835 BC, 835 years before Christ. He's prophesying. He's prophesying to the southern kingdom. Remember Israel back in those days, a divided kingdom. There was the northern part and there's the southern part to this kingdom. And, and Joel's words were to the southern kingdom. In fact, his words of warning are coming 250 years before the southern kingdom is even taken captive by Babylon. In Joel chapter one, beginning in verse one, he's describing the present state of of the southern kingdom. We pick it up and say, the word of the Lord has, that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days? Or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. 
that the chewing locust left, or what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. What's going on in this moment here? Judah at this time was a a nation in in turmoil. They had a a king that was being brought forth and his name was uh, Ahaziah. He was the presumed king. However, the unfortunate thing happened, he was killed in battle. He was killed in battle. So what happened? The queen mother, Athaliah, she decided to take the reins. And she reigned for some six years. And if you know anything about the history of some of these kings, she was the granddaughter of King Omri and likely the niece of King Ahab. And if you know anything about these kings, these men were wicked. These guys weren't just thumbing their nose at God. They were just wicked, wicked men. And that was her reign for these six years as well. She was wicked and ungodly. So much so that she killed all but one of her grandsons just so they would not assume the role that their father had left for them. She left one, a one-year-old boy named Josiah. Eight thirty-five BC. Likely scenario is that the high priest Jehoiada likely overthrew Athalia at the prophecy of what Joel was sharing. And one-year-old Josiah, now being seven years old, was ushered in to be the king just to save this moment. And this land, the judgment they're going through right now is being ravaged by a bunch of locusts. The chewing, swarming, crawling, consuming. Those are just stages of development for the locusts. Not different types of locusts. You'll understand if you have a teenage son like I do. He's constantly chewing, swarming, crawling into my pantries. And the bank account just continues to ratchet down more and more. Pick it up in verse 5. He says, Awake you drunkards and weep. And wail all you drinkers of wine because of the new wine. For it's been cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he is the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. And so the Lord has allowed this army of locusts to come and to devastate the land at this time. The grapevines, the figs, everything that belongs to the Lord, he's allowing it just to wipe away in this land. If you were paying attention this last year, in the midst of everything that was going on, there was a a major plague of locusts that hit Africa and extended into the Middle East. One of the swaths of locusts extended 25 miles wide one way by 37 miles the other way. That's something like from here to the other end of Greensboro all the way up to the Virginia border. Just nothing but locusts. That was just one of the swaths. And so here's Joel in this moment. If you aren't taking note, people, wake up. Look what's going on in your land here. He calls them in verse eight to this moment. He says, lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn. 
who minister to the Lord. The field is wasted. The land mourns. For the grain is ruined. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine has dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree, and the apple tree, all the trees of the fields are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. Joel, in this moment, he's saying, Family, you need to be about crying and mourning and be ashamed. This is your livelihood and the offerings that are coming undone. The offerings that you would have otherwise put before the Lord. Wake up, he's saying. Because the destruction is going to affect your livelihoods and your need for food as well. No more provisions to put before the Lord. The celebrations of first fruits. End of the, the barley season, the end of the winter harvest. Feast of weeks, the wheat season and harvest. It doesn't exist anymore. Now likely the Lord allowed all this to happen as partially a wake-up call for them. Likely scenario, they're just going through the ceremonial religious activities of the day. Good chance it meant very little to them, all these sacrifices that they were actually doing. It meant very little, but the Lord used it as a means of really interrupting their lives as well. You see this even in this past year, looking at a pandemic. We see parallels to that. Family, there are still churches out there that are still shut down. They're still walking in fear of, of, of getting back together. The real challenge in the midst of a lot of this is that those churches are being shown for the likely the churches that many of them have been. There may be isolated areas and situations a little different. I get that. Some of these churches have been stripped pretty hard and they're really left asking the question, how much were we really about the Lord? Joel's not trying to minimize the suffering that's going on, but his call is for them to turn back to the Lord. This is an alarm that's being sounded in his day. And he's trying to deal with it in a very real way. In verse 13, Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your, of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders. And all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. He's saying return to God. Put forth, consecrate a fast. Call for a sacred assembly. Call the elders of the church. Call the people to get into the the temple again. And cry out to the Lord. Why? Because you need to make getting right with God more important than just sitting and eating. Need to call God's people to come together, to repent together, to get the leaders of the church together, to take action, to meet together, to cry out to the Lord for his mercy. The people of Judah in this moment, they're experiencing a real judgment on their lands. The thing is, is that they're powerless in their own efforts to try to fix it. There's now drought going on in their lands. They have no way of taking care of this themselves 
And the Lord is allowing them to hit rock bottom. There's no other place to turn. There's a need for repentance. Jesus in in Luke 13 drives home this point regarding repentance. He talks about a moment where Pilate has allowed these Gentiles to be killed and he's intermingling their blood into sacrifices. And at the same time, Jesus talks about this Tower of Siloam that falls and kills 18 people. And the question he asks is, were these worse sinners than others that have perished? Than the others that have died? And the answer is no. Jesus was using this as an example, as a wake-up call for repentance, though. People would read this passage or even ask at that time, why did this disaster happen to them? That was the wrong question for them to be asking. The real question is, am I ready to face such a disaster in this fallen world? That's the question for us today. Are we ready to face such a disaster in a fallen world? The same fate lies for each and every one of us. It's a great question. It causes us to pause and, and stop to have to think of the difficulty of the implications for us. So in the midst of judgment here, what should my response be? What should your response be? Got to look at self for just a moment and say, what's my involvement? Where am I at in this, Lord? Look at the moment. How am I able to help minister to others? What am I to do on behalf of my nation? And all that's going on in the world today and our nation in specific, we're charging down a very ungodly path right now. Let me encourage you during this time, though. Don't despair. Don't give up. Pray for our nation. Pray for God's mercy. But in the midst of this, examine your own heart as well. How many hearts will it take crying out to the Lord before his heart is moved to bring healing on our land? We see in Scripture, Elijah, man of prayer, he prayed earnestly before the Lord. There'd be no rain and the rain was shut off. Three and a half years and he prays again. The Lord brings back the rain. See David praying for God's strength and he wins mighty battles. Those are just two examples but all it took in each of those situations was one individual. And I caution you against believing that the responsibility in those moments lies on someone else. Why couldn't it be you? Why shouldn't it be you taking that stance? The life lesson that I put together here is that as we pray, our hearts become more aligned with God. We see the heart of the Lord move when we are repentant and humble before him. It's not meant to be left up to somebody else. Let's take this dire moment and just allow the the clergy, let's allow the pastors, let's allow these other individuals to go before the Lord Lord's asking, what are you, where are you at in this picture? The Lord's wanting to move on our behalf. But it's going to only happen if our hearts, and we choose for our hearts to be in alignment with his will. And that begins with our part through repentance. In John 14, Jesus he tells him, he says, ask me, meet with me. Paraphrasing him, I want to act on your behalf. Verse 15 here in Joel's prophecy starts to take a turn for a moment here. 
It goes from dealing with the immediate judgment that was on them to something that's going to happen at a future time. Let's pick it up, verse 15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Is not the food cut off before our eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clods. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down, for the grain has withered. How the animals groan. The herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. O Lord, to you I cry out. For fire has devoured the open pastures and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you for the water brooks are dried up and fire has devoured the open pastures. He's speaking and prophesying about the day of the Lord that's at hand. That's a day of the Lord's judgment to come. And we talk of these days that we're in now and we're living in the last days and you get to the end of the rope of all of that and that's the day of the Lord, the day of his judgment. So we're talking about the day of judgment here and the personal question that we have to ask ourselves now is, is is this a day that we're looking forward to or are we dreading coming? Is the day of the Lord's judgment a day that we're looking forward to or a day that we're dreading right now? You read through the Bible and you see these different time frames, these different judgments that happen against nations, against peoples. We see this throughout scripture, but the day of the Lord is gonna be a day like no other. It's a specific time set aside for judgment. A judgment like we've never seen before. Now you may be a believer, someone following Jesus. You may be for following him for the last 20 years. And right now you're choosing to live in fear of that day's arrival. Which likely would throw you into one of two camps as I was thinking about it here. Either you're a believer and you're, you're unknown, unknowing or unfamiliar with the scriptures, not familiar with God and his promises, his word, his protection over you. The idea of what we believe in is a pre-tribulation rapture where we go through the roughness of life and probably some excess tribulations but nothing like that seven-year span that leads to the, the day of the Lord in harshness. Or maybe you do have an understanding of the the word of God and you're just choosing not to trust in him right now. You're fearful for whatever reason. Fearful and reserved and just giving your all to him right now. Jesus gives us a real simple promise, but he also puts it into perspective at what it's gonna cost. Luke 9, 23 and 4, he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus is just making us aware of the realities in following him. You want to save your life, you need to lose it. You lose your life for his sake, you're going to find it. You're going to save it. Challenge for us this day and age even is just to accept that word. Let's put it in perspective. Our lives today versus their lives a couple thousand years ago. You know, the power goes out for one or two days and man, that's tribulation. People are getting on edge. We haven't showered and and, and life is just horrible all of a sudden. Back then, they didn't have power, right? They didn't have information at the snap of their finger. 
These people were smart. They actually talked to people. They actually read things. But put it into perspective of where their lives were really at. Think about the wars and things that would happen back in those days. People, there was an expectation. If you were a man, you were going to be battle ready. Your life was to be put on the line. We have our concealed carries today, but these guys walked around with swords. They aren't concealing a, a sword very well. They were ready. Ready for that call. You look at these two time frames, us today and then now. This is apples and oranges right now. Yet the call's the same in following Jesus to give your life away. The life lesson I have here is that the judgment day of the Lord should not bring fear, but instill confidence in the absolute authority and protection of the Lord for his people. Judgment day of the Lord should not bring fear, but instill confidence in the absolute authority and protection of the Lord for his people. Are we going to get pushback going forward in our lives, even now, in the days, weeks, months ahead? Good likelihood, yes. How far is it going to go? We don't know. But we need to be ready. And readiness starts right up here first. Now I want to highlight just a few verses out of chapter 2 here. It helps bring us to where we're at in this passage and Peter sharing with these people today. So chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like the morning clouds spread over the mountains a people come great and strong the like of whom has never been nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. Chapter one, Joel says, this is the judgment that's upon you. Wake up, understand it. Half of chapter, or the latter part of chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three is the judgment that is still to come on these people. He said a people are gonna come that are great and strong, the likes who have never been seen in verse two, nor will there ever be any such after them. Again, a time still to come. Joel goes on and he's describing this fearful army through chapter two. This is a fearful army that the Lord is allowing to be sent on the people. Now it's not meant to be directly for the people of this day, this judgment in this moment But the understanding and the reality is especially uh, while they're going through this judgment with the locusts that are going on here, he's basically saying, you thought it was bad with the locusts, just wait. This this locust thing, this is nothing compared to what the Lord's going to do and bring upon you unless you repent and turn back to him. This time frame that Joel is speaking about here, it parallels well. You start reading into Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 and understanding this last day, the days of judgment, the the battle of Armageddon. Revelation. These parallel to this. And as they go through, it's interesting when you read these prophets and you're trying to, to discern what is the vision that they're seeing here. Understand, they don't, they didn't have bombs back in those days. They didn't have tanks 
war machinery, certainly didn't have anything flying over them and stuff. So they're trying to describe some of this stuff and it seems a little bit, how do we catch this thing? Understand, that's just their perspective. Speaking into the unknown. But there's application, even from chapter two, for the people of Joel's day, maybe in the same way for us today. It likely scared the daylights out of them here in this prophecy. And hearing this and knowing that we're getting closer to this time to come should cause us to sit up and take note. The Lord's prophecies come to pass. It's not like he just skips over, like, not like he just says most of the time this is the way it is. It's like they come to pass. Verse 12, now therefore says the Lord, this is chapter two, verse 12, still Joel, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. He says, who knows? Who knows? But in this moment, in the midst of a judgment of locusts, it appears that the people turned back and repented and that the heart of the Lord was moved in this moment. They changed their minds. That's where we get the word repentance. That's what it means, to change their minds. Their minds on the position and the stance that they had going forward and the Lord's wrecking their day Showing them that it was, they, they, weren't, they weren't truly seeking him. To now doing a 180, turning it around and choosing to follow the Lord. The Lord's now drawing them to himself through the repentance. Paul speaking in Romans 2 says it's the goodness of God that leads us to Repentance. That's what Joel is talking about here. The God who is gracious and merciful and who's slow to anger and of great kindness. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And it's in that awareness of turning to him that he spares us from what we really deserve. And immediate again, they appear to have responded. They called for a fast. They did the sacred assembly. They did these things. They were sincere in their repentance and turning to the Lord. The challenge for them is going to be to continue to walk in that beyond that moment. And if you know the history of Israel and have studied it, as we've gone through the scriptures, it didn't happen. Northern kingdom taken captive, 721 BC. Southern kingdom, 586. They're out of there. It was judgment brought on by the Lord. Indeed, this was the case here. The people repented in chapter one. Josiah. Josiah comes on the scene and he's going to be a godly king for some 40 years. And God relents. Verse 14, he said, who knows if he will turn and relent? Who knows how God's going to respond? But let's do the right thing. Let's do the right thing and in his nature of being gracious, merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, maybe, who knows, but maybe he will relent. 
God speaking to his people down in verse 25, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. That's God's blessing back on them. For all the years that you chose to waste, God said, I'm going to restore those years back to you. Why? Because you just came to me in repentance. Sincerity of heart. You laid it down before me. While you were far from me, I chose to redeem the time for you. God was certainly speaking to this moment in the people of Judah. It's from this moment that he continues to take Joel all the way into chapter three at the blessing and the restoration of his ultimate plan for his people. But we pick it up in verse 28. This is where Peter picks it up and begins quoting in Acts. In verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions and also on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. It shall come to pass afterwards in those last days. God gives no time frame in this moment. It's gonna be about 867 years later from this time of prophecy here. And he's going to pour his spirit out on all flesh, not just the Jewish people. And Joel shares this prophecy and it's to be taken up to the time of the last days. This is meant to be the ushering in of the ultimate restoration and blessing. The outpouring of God's spirit on all flesh. The question is, was this prophecy fulfilled And we saw this, and the answer is yes, at the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church. Now, was that prophecy seen through to completion? The answer is still no today. Prophecy fulfilled in the day of Pentecost coming, but not seen through to completion. Why? Joel's going to be talking about a longer, more extended period of time here. Let's continue on for just a minute here. Go back to Acts chapter 2 with me for a moment here. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It was so cool. The other night, <clears throat> showed up Thursday evening, and... Uh, one of the men in the church comes up to me and he said, I got this question. He said, I've been pondering. When Christ comes at the rapture, is he coming for his whole bride? If you're not familiar with the language, the bride is a representation picture of the church. Is he coming for the whole thing? And I said, that's funny that you mentioned that. I said, I'm studying this right now in, in Joel. Obviously, there's still going to be people, and we read in Scripture, there's still going to be people to come to the Lord during the tribulation period. So as he assembled his whole bride at the moment of the rapture, well, he's, he's taken the bride that exists to that time, but there's still more of that bride to be had. Joel, speaking of this prophecy here it's going to be seen all the way to the end of the tribulation period after the rapture at his second coming of the Lord 
This passage that Peter is quoting in this moment, there's more to it than just this standalone moment by itself here. He's now going more into the last days here, and he says in verse 30, beyond just this moment, he says, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and the awesome day of the Lord. He's saying there's going to be awareness, there's going to be signs, there's going to be this epiphany going off on people's minds that there's something different going on in these days. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What an awesome promise. Sins forgotten, we're told in scripture, as far as the east is from the west. Family, you're not going to get a deal like that today out there. We live in a culture that wants to drag up, drudge up every one of your sins in the past again. Disqualify you from anything in life. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said among the remnants whom the Lord calls. And Joel finishes it out in chapter 3. So again, pre-Jesus, Old Testament, Hebrew scriptures, God's spirit did not dwell in men, dwelled alongside with men. And it was isolated incidents. Certain individuals, a number of the judges, David, Joshua, Saul. There were periods of time that God's spirit was with them. What's offered now here? Now that this New Testament has been established here, your sons and your daughters, the old and the young, the men servants, the maid servants, those are the most humble and lowly of people. They're all invited at this point. And Peter's showing them the prophecy of Joel. Some 867 years prior to had just now arrived and was available to all. And the life lesson I put here is that the prophecies and words of God are certain to come to pass, but the execution for that time belongs to the Lord. If these people were even paying attention to this prophecy, they waited a long time. How many along the way would have given up on God if they were just waiting for that moment that prophecy would be fulfilled? It's not just this prophecy, but I'm talking about prophecy in general. Many have likely turned away from the Lord. This day of the Lord, this time of judgment, ah. Some 2,000 years after Jesus, ah. I say that because some of us need to be reminded of it though. Some of us have been given different promises in our time with the Lord that he shared with us. and We've yet to see them fulfilled. I know in my personal impatience, I call it spiritual schizophrenia. Okay? I can be spiritually schizophrenic at times. Lord, I know you told me this. God, I know it. We are like this. You told me that. God, have I ever heard from you? I... Sometimes we play these little battles back and forth. Lord, was that really you talking to me? That situation? It's not come to pass yet. Your word's really true? Lord, I see certain things in the scriptures here, certain promises. Not seeing them fulfilled yet in my life. Can I believe in it? 
I was listening to a pastor the other day. He was just sharing a word that the Lord had given him. And the word that he gave this pastor that day was unbelievable. And so I'm like, unbelievable, I need to listen to this for a minute. And then the man goes on, or the pastor goes on to share that the Lord is wanting to do something unbelievable in your life. And I'm thinking, all right, this is like some blab it and grab it, health, wealth, prosperity thing. It's, God's going to do amazing things. And it was more directed, it was, it, was, it was a much more succinct word. And it wasn't that. About the Lord wanting to do some unbelievable things in these days ahead. And so I'm listening And it hit me between the eyes where he took it because he said, some of you out there have been told things by the Lord. The Lord shared things with you. Things that you thought were going to be unbelievable when they came to pass. And he said, the Lord hasn't acted on some of those promises in your life. You're lacking belief that he can. To you, what the Lord has shared is unbelievable. And that's what you're walking in is in the unbelief that the Lord could actually do these things that he told you and promised you that he would. You want to talk about a heart looking like a balloon getting pricked with a pin. It's like, Lord, man, that's, that's me. That's me. We live in a day where we're seeing more of the signs and living in a world that's drawing closer to these cataclysmic events. We see and we know. Joel 3, Ezekiel, Revelation. But in this reality, in understanding scripture here, these last days, these time, this time frame, this has been going on for 2,000 years. Every generation always thought it'd be the last one. And yet it continues on. Now again, we're reminded of the signs of times. And we see it in Luke 21 and Matthew 24. Jesus said, you start to see these things. They start to get a little bit closer in succession. He says, look up. Look up. Look to me. Those last days, people are going to be lovers of themselves. Jesus says, look up. Be lovers of me. Be lovers of other people. I say this in part. I don't want you to be down on the Lord. Just because his execution of his plans and his time frames aren't necessarily mirrored with your expectations. It can be the same for end time events or even personal situations the Lord has you going through right now. Luke 19, Jesus says, occupy until I return. Keep going about the Father's business, family. Keep walking in the promises that he's already given you. So why do I bring you down this rabbit trail into the book of Joel other than that Peter's just quoting this. I want you to notice something. One, we're giving context to what Peter is sharing in this moment, right? Peter's both speaking to this moment and to the future. So he's both answering their questions and giving them reason to contemplate what the Lord would have for them personally. But the other thing he's doing is that Joel's word was a word of repentance for the people. They were reminded not to forsake the Lord, not to just go through the motions, but to genuinely make worship a part of the necessary life that they lived. The same holds true for us today. We can't just push that to the side. How many times in our lives do we catch ourselves? We're doing real well walking with the Lord. We're doing real well. And then all of a sudden we wake up one day and we've just been playing the part for a little bit of time. 
right? I see no head shaking yes, and so I'm talking to me right now, right? It's just me. Totally understand it. I can tell you at a personal experience, these last probably five-ish months, the spiritual battles, just to even get up here and teach, I'm telling you, you're talking about spiritual battles. I was so encouraged the other day. I was listening to a pastor. I think it was a pastor in Philadelphia. He said, man, he said the same thing. These last few months, the battles have been unreal. Just trying to prepare, trying to get set up and sharing the word of God. I was driving down the road this week and I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. It's like, Lord, I'm, I'm putting forth an effort and I'm looking for you here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do this before you. And the Lord just whacked me upside the head. Something I needed this week. And he just said, man, stop trying to go after and pursue me. He said, just leave yourself bare before me. Tell me you're right here and I'll be there with you. It's like, man, something so simple, Lord. You just want me to say, here I am. Sometimes we need to be people not about doing but more about receiving. To these people in this moment as Peter's putting this forth, repent and be forgiven. Here's a neat thought to to consider in this moment. The people of Israel in Joel's time, they they repented. The people are going to be given an opportunity here in the book of Acts in a moment to be forgiven. But because they choose to allow God to forgive them and they go in repentance before him, others are going to be the recipients of God's grace for their lives as well. That's huge. Now it doesn't only just impact us in a need to repent, it's going to affect others around us in what we do. In verse 22, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, and he identifies Jesus of Nazareth specifically. There were many people with the name Jesus in that day. He's a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. He did these works. He did these proofs to show who he was. We remember Nicodemus talking with Jesus in John chapter 3. He says, no one can do these works unless God is with him. So the people, they saw what was going on. They knew. They had some level of understanding. Verse 23, him you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So here's Peter. After quoting scripture, he begins to explain the scripture. And what he's in essence explaining right here is the gospel message. Peter sums up in verse 22 the life of Jesus. In verse 23, he speaks of the death of Jesus. In 24, he speaks of the resurrection of Jesus. This is the first public sharing of the gospel that we have in scripture here. That little component right there lasted maybe 30 seconds of sharing that gospel. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. The directive, the purpose, and the hope we have in Jesus. It was a succinct presentation of the good news. But don't miss the mind-blowing part that Peter said right here as well. Verse 23, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. 
What does that mean? That all along, God had a plan. All along, God had a plan. Three years the disciples walked with Jesus, roughly. They didn't understand his plan. They got all the way down to that last week, the Passion Week. They still didn't understand the plan. Peter's standing up. I'm willing to die with you, Jesus. I'm willing to go to prison for you, Jesus. He didn't understand the plan. Even after the resurrection, the disciples are still expecting some sort of political, militaristic takeover. Usher in the kingdom, Jesus. They didn't understand the plan. Jesus isn't asking us to have it all figured out, family. It's in accordance with God's good plans. And in in this lifetime that we live right now, we never will. But he's asking us to trust him. He's asking us to have faith in what we don't understand. Hebrews 11.1, solid scripture. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word hoped is assured in the scripture. The evidence of things not seen. That's the challenge in faith. If we're wondering why God doesn't keep us privy to everything going on around us, all that he's doing and stuff. He doesn't keep us privy to this, one, so we keep pressing into him, but two, because if we knew all his plans, we'd lose the wonder and awe of who he really is. J.B. Phillips once said, if God were small enough for us to figure out, he wouldn't be big enough for us to worship. How true. And so Peter goes on and he continues quoting scripture again, verse 25, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also were rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Now, was David in this moment speaking about himself? No, he was not. David was a king, but he was a prophet as well, and he's speaking about the Messiah in this passage here. It was probably a well-understood passage to many of them here. And so Peter goes on to explain it now, verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, right? So the the Messiah is going to come from his line. Verse 31, he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. We've talked about that. He dies on a cross. He goes to Hades, preaches to those that are captive down there, but his body would not see corruption. Death can't hold him. Death can't hold the sinless life of the Messiah. In verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up of which you are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, and we talked about this, the early part of Acts in John 15 and 16, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. And for any of those people that are paying attention at this moment, this is mind-blowing. 
He's putting the pieces together for them in this moment. You have one of the guys standing back there and he's just pulled out his little smartphone and he's pulled out his little calculator and he's doing all the math. 835 BC plus about 32 more years. You're talking about 867 years ago, man. This prophecy's just coming now. I'm alive to see this today. Peter's like, yep, you are. This is what's going on. This Jesus God has raised up of which you are all witnesses. They don't need to go investigate further. They were all witnesses to what they saw about this man. He said, you saw it. Not only did you see it, 500 other people saw it too, if you want to ask them. Peter's saying, this is it. This is that moment. Because God has a plan. Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Jesus, the role of the mediator to the Father, his right hand, an advocate, a defender against the accusations of the enemy, sitting in that position, verse 35, till I make your enemies your footstool. Here's David in this moment. He's a king, and he's abdicating his authority to the king, the king who will one day place his foot on the necks of those he's been victorious over, those being his enemies. And David calls him Lord, and in the Jewish culture, this would not make sense. The patriarchal system the higher up, the older you were, the higher up and revered that you were. And here's David calling him Lord, down the line. I like what someone said as David is quoting or prophesying about the Messiah. David speaking prophetically is really Jesus speaking personally. This moment's about Jesus. And Peter's bringing it to light for them to see. Verse 36, therefore, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Again, mind-blowing moment. This is a summative statement to everything that Peter has been sharing at this moment, right? He takes the mic, he turns it off, drops it in this moment for them. He's laid out the evidence He reminded of them of what they already knew. He's he's pointed out some of the works, the signs, and the wonders that's already been performed before them. He's laid out the prophetic and he's laid out the fulfillment of what they see today. And family, that's all that, that any of us have been asked to do is what Peter did, to be available and to share the knowledge of God and his word with others. Leave it up to the Holy Spirit to do what he wants with that. But our call is to be available and to be knowledgeable to his scriptures. You might be sitting back and be like, yeah, yeah, but I don't, I don't know the Bible like everybody else does. Pick it up and start reading it. Start highlighting. Start underlining things. Get note cards out. Write down scriptures. Stick them in your pocket. 2 Timothy 2.15 in the Amplified says, study and do your best to present yourself to God approved. Not that we're trying to work to gain God's approval, but put forth the good effort in seeking after the Lord. A workman tested by trial who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Obviously by being here, by sitting a Bible on your lap, opening it up right now, already shows you're in for the long haul. You're in it for the long haul with the Lord. That's awesome. 
going verse by verse, it doesn't get much better than this in understanding the context of Scripture. We're in the book of Acts, the early church. We're in the book of Thessalonians. What to be looking for and to recognize in these last days. Look at the response of the people here in this moment. Verse 37. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Peter tells them, point blank, says repent. Change your minds. Not just your action, but change your minds towards everything you thought of who Jesus is or Jesus was. Change your minds and repent. Now Peter, again, Peter's not perfect, wasn't perfect. Previous text, he's out to defend himself quite often trying to walk in his own strength on too many occasions. He's a man that knows or gets, recognizes his limitations at times. He's gung-ho about the Lord, though. He jumps out of a boat and starts walking on water, falls back for a moment in his own strength, but has the wherewithal to cry out to the Lord and says, save me. Save me again, God. And the Lord's working through him, through his availability and his knowledge. Why? Because this was God's plan. Family today, don't think for a moment that you aren't the, the intended target of God's plans and use. Don't think for a moment that he doesn't have a reason, that he has not already set aside a purpose for you in his plans as well. The scriptures are loaded with these God-inspired and God-used stories of success. It's so easy for us to discount God's ability to use us though. And yet it's so simple. If all we just say, God, here I am, use me. In this moment, these people, after what they heard Peter sharing, they're cut to the heart. Their their hearts were pricked to a new realization. It's just like for us today. Jesus wasn't just a wise man. He wasn't some sort of political revolutionary maybe wave his hand and the problems just go away. He wasn't even just a good teacher. There's no other alternative to accept but that he was and he is the son of God. There was nothing left. And acceptance to this reality is the promise of salvation, both for them and their children and to all who would respond. How awesome is that to consider? Moms and dads, you seeking the Lord's forgiveness serves as an extension of his grace to your own children and to their children as well. You may say, I come from a family and my mom and dad, they aren't believers. Well, then let it start with you. You may say, well, I don't have children. That's okay. Let the influence that you have on others' lives around you begin with you. Verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Be saved and be baptized. Christ's first command to follow after. 
Go show him off to the world is what he's saying. On this day, 3,000 people. That's a revival. That's a whale of a revival. Just because Peter stood up and shared the good news and allowed the spirit to work through him. How'd that all happen? God had a plan. God had a plan. Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Why? God had a plan. Salvation wasn't going to come through the law. We heard Pastor David last week talk about the necessity of the law. But the plan of salvation wasn't going to come through the law. When Moses brought the law down from the mountain, there was some gross spiritual insurrection going on. People were doing weird things. God was on the back burner at that time. And because of that, 3,000 souls were lost that day. Here on the day of Pentecost, the day when the promised Holy Spirit was brought forth, 3,000 were saved. Point being what? God wants a relationship with you. He's not asking for your works and he's not asking for your efforts. He's not asking for your pretend religion or walking in a coma with him. He's just simply asking for you. Family, sometimes we make this so complicated. He wants to keep it simple. He just wants you to give all that you have to him. This was a plan from the beginning. Consider that. For all that happened to mankind across the boards, this was his plan from the beginning. And he had you in mind at its inception. What's it going to take for you to choose to stand in a right relationship with him today? Are you inquiring of him? Are you seeking out his will for your life? Remember, he is the redeemer of lost time. Some today, that's going to be a simple response and they're just going to need to stand up and say, God, here I am. Just use me. For others, maybe it's a little bit more involved. Maybe the call is for you to to consecrate a fast, to really dig in, spend time with the Lord. For others, maybe it's, it's calling forth some of the elders just to lay hands on you and pray with you. Say, I'm really going through this and I'm burdened and I need, I need the Lord and I need help. The Lord is seeking hearts of repentance. Those that are newly seeking and those who need to have the recesses of their hearts examined further. Who knows what the Lord might do at the repentance of just one heart? What I'm asking you today is, will you be that one? I ask you to bow your heads with me. Lord, we're, uh, Lord, we're grateful. Lord, that you would allow your word to be put right before us again today. Lord, each person has a different receptivity to that word today and that's because your spirit's speaking to them individually. 
Lord, I pray that we would take this moment to seriously contemplate Lord, where are we at in our life and our walk with you? Because, Father, there are some out here that in our household today, God, that, Lord, we've been walking with you for many, many years, Lord, and we've allowed some, some of it to get stale or to get dry, and, Lord, we've, we've recognized that we just haven't made ourselves available to you. And that's some of the burden that we've allowed to accumulate and we carry today. Burden that we weren't intended to carry. And you're standing there today, God, and you're just saying, just give it to me. Let me handle it. Whatever trial or difficulty you're going through, just let him have it. Maybe some today, and you've never cried out to the Lord. You never said, I, you never recognized, I need repentance. I need to repent. I need salvation, Jesus. I need you to be my Savior. I need you to be my Lord, because I don't want to stand before the Lord on that day in which we all will be before him. Lord, there's a judgment day coming. That day of judgment. Lord, we need to be right personally with you. But we need to be right so that we can be available for your use. In these next few moments, we're just going to take some time. Just, I just want you to meditate. Meditate on the Lord and his goodness. What he's offering us today. But understand He wants all of you. He's not asking you to hold on to these little nuggets to the side. Not asking you to try to figure it out on your own. He wants all of you. And the heart that's submitted to him earnestly and lays it all down before him, man. He's a potter. He wants us to be clay. Because he's got a plan for how he wants to mold and shape your life. If you've never asked Christ into your life, I invite you as well. Because the altar's open. I want to give you these next few minutes. Just spend time with the Lord. Whether you're here or watching from someone else, just take these next few moments and give it all over to him. I'll lead you in prayer after. Savior with me There's no need to cover what I already see You've got your reasons but I hold your peace You've been on lockdown and I hold the I loved you before you knew what was love and I saw it all still I chose the cross and you were the one I was thinking of when I rose from the grave now rid of the shackles my victory is yours and I tore the veil for you to come close there's no reason stand at a distance anymore. You're not far from home. And I'll be your lighthouse when you're lost at sea. Yes, I will allude.
chose the cross and you were the one I was thinking of when I rose from the grave. Now rid of your shackles, my victory is yours. And I tore the veil for you to come close. There's no reason to stand at a distance anymore. You're not far from Father, we thank you. Father, thank you for a moment that we can just sit before you and examine our hearts before you, Lord. Lord, it's so easy just to, to throw out the, the generic, God, forgive me of my sins. But Lord, you're wanting more, more than that from us these days, Lord. You want to refine us in specific ways that, Lord, maybe in our own hearts, in our own strength, or in our own fortitude of sorts, God, We've been reserved to give certain things over to you. Father, I pray that we would be a people that would seek your face in repentance, in specific even, Lord. Knowing, Lord, that you're a good God. To say that you're a God who forgives and forgets, it's an understatement, Lord. You're a God who forgives and restores. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Christ into your life and I just want to lead you in a a simple prayer. Just you talking to God. Just inviting him into your life. Recognizing that you need him to be your savior. So if that's you today, just repeat after me. Jesus, I'm crying out to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all my sins. I'm laying them before you. I'm giving you my life. I give you my heart. And Lord, I'm asking you to change me. I'm asking you to change me and to fill me with your spirit. that I would live for you each and every day of my life. Lord, I thank you for the promise that is given to us that your spirit would be poured out on all flesh in these, these last days, Lord. These last days that we've been walking in for 2,000 years, Lord, but you're faithful. You're a God true to his word and true to his promises. 
We know we can count on you in the days ahead. So thank you, Father, for meeting with us here today. Thank you for being the blessing, God, that you are for our lives, the protecting God that you are. Pray you be with his people, not only today, Lord, but in the weeks and months ahead. Be with us and protect us, your body, Father. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you as you are gracious to others. I bid you his peace, his shalom, in Hashem Yeshua, the name of Jesus, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you for being a part of it this week. Again, Thursday night, we're in Isaiah. Awesome teachings going on, so hopefully looks forward to seeing you then. Thanks again for listening to teachings from the Bridge Fellowship. Feel free to share these teachings for free, but do not sell or alter these recordings in any way. For more teachings or to support this ministry, go to youareloved.org. And remember, you are loved.